Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider. We'll get started right after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. Half a mile down the road from this week's Labour Party conference in Liverpool stands a bar, District. Now, last Sunday, this bar was absolutely rammed. It's a trendy music venue, rarely visited by political types. There were Nirvana and Sonic Youth t-shirts everywhere you looked. An eight-piece band waited to start playing. A handful of people were there to watch the band but everyone else was waiting to see a politician. And not just any politician, but the former leader of the Labour Party. As he walked on stage, he was greeted with a song that brought a massive grin to his face. For a moment, it felt just like old times. Jeremy Corbyn was appearing at the World Transformed Festival the left-wing alternative to the Labour Party conference, which activists organise each year just down the road from the main event. Politics should be about popular movements, should be about the voice of ordinary people, should be about the voice of organised labour. On stage at this alternative conference, Corbyn set out an alternative manifesto. He talked about housing, climate change, refugees and... He addressed the terrorist attacks in Israel without calling them terrorist attacks. The way to end that, I think, is to end the occupation of Palestine by Israel. Between 2015 and 2019, of course, Corbyn was not just an alternative. He was the main event, speaking to thousands inside the Labour Conference Hall. For the many, not the few. Had he declined to call the atrocities terror attacks back then, it would have likely reignited past rows over his position on Hamas and his party's wider position on Israel and Palestine. Labour MPs would have been in uproar. The media storm would have lasted for weeks. But here, way out on the left-wing fringe, he was at home. In the packed-out, 300-strong gig venue, Jeremy Corbyn was their hero. I think Jeremy Corbyn is f***ing great. Well, I'm very fond of the man. I wish Jeremy would have started his own party. I'd join it today if I could. Do you think the left's dead now? I mean, yeah, like, it's just centrist and right-wing, I feel now. None of us are Labour Party members now. We've all left. I think I've given up completely on politics since he's been gone. As soon as he lost that election, I thought, f***, there is no hope here. I think if he was running the country right now, he'd be f***ing smashing it. Am I allowed to swear? Uh. Maybe not that much. 
less than four years after quitting as Labour leader, following that crushing election defeat in 2019, Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party is gone. His policies, some of his allies and some of the members who signed up for him are gone. And he, too, is gone. Suspended by Labour for his response to a report on anti-Semitism in the party, with zero prospect of being allowed to return. Do you ever see a stage when he'll come back to your merry fold of the Labour Party? Absolutely not. Keir Starmer, Rachel Reeves and the rest of the Labour leadership team are now said to have an iron grip on the party. If anyone breaks the rules or steps out of line, they are out. So, as Labour has changed so much in just a few years, what does that mean for those who were on Corbyn's wing of the party? To find out, I spoke to Labour peer Peter Mandelson. They can't ever be allowed to call the shots in our party again, and I think it's why Keir Starmer is right to marginalise them now. To former Labour Party chair Ian Lavery. Anybody who has got a modicum of interest in political parties clearly understand that there's been a, a purge against the left. To left-wing journalist Ash Sarkar. If you want to look at the future of the left within Labour, the future does not look bright. To left-wing Labour MP Clive Lewis. Do you feel under the current leadership and under the current party system you're able to express yourself? I think it's quite difficult. And of course, I spoke to Jeremy Corbyn. Being silent is never an option. It's not an option I've ever taken. From Politico, I'm Maggie Chambray, and this week on Westminster Insider, I'm asking, is the left finished in Britain? And if not, how on earth are they ever coming back? It's Monday at Labour Party conference. And normally, the only thing anyone would be interested in is the Shadow Chancellor's speech. As Chancellor, I will put forward a new charter for budget responsibility. But this year, everything has been overshadowed. More than a 1,000 people have now been killed in Israel and Gaza after a massive attack by Hamas militants that began at dawn on Saturday. The weekend's shocking terrorist attacks in Israel and the subsequent retaliation in Gaza hang over this conference in Liverpool like a black cloud. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us. You can see people dancing at the Nova Music Festival with no inkling of the horror that's about to unfold. Gaza is being very intensively bombed more than at any other time in its recent history. Even here in the main conference hall, Rachel Reeves' big speech was in some ways overshadowed by what came later that day. Conference, I know you will all be appalled by the shocking situation and events in Israel. But as notable as what did happen here in Liverpool is what did not. If you could join us in a moment's silence. There was no breakout of tensions. There was no passionate disagreements in the fringe events about the rights and wrongs of the Israel-Palestine conflict. Conference, I am shocked and appalled by the events in Israel. I utterly condemn the senseless murder of men, women and children including British citizens, in cold blood by the terrorists of Hamas. But all eyes during conference were on the left of the party. Jeremy Corbyn, of course, and others from his political tribe are proud supporters of the Palestinian cause. His first tweet and reactions over the weekend failed to condemn the terrorist attacks. Four days later, though, 
he said the horrific attacks on civilians in Israel were deplorable. Strikingly, though, some of Corbyn's old friends and allies on the left of the Labour Party now clam up when asked for their view. Here's his former shadow cabinet minister, Dawn Butler, the MP for Brent North, who I spoke to in Liverpool. Obviously, we've seen these really awful scenes in Israel over the weekend. And I just wondered, I saw Jeremy Corbyn's tweet earlier and he's kind of refused to condemn Hamas. And I was just wondering what your view and what the view of other Labour MPs is on that. I haven't seen the tweet, so I can't comment. OK, but would you condemn Hamas? I haven't seen the tweet, so I'm not going to comment or get down into, into that discussion and debate. It's that question you can't, you don't want to answer that? I'm not going to get into the discussion with you on that. Some MPs on that wing of the party have been clearer. Here's another former Shadow Cabinet Minister under Corbyn, Richard Bergen. It's clearly a series uh, of acts uh, of terrorism and it's just uh, appalling. It's a dark day for humanity when you see civilians being killed uh, in this way. The Labour leadership did everything they could to make sure this was the only reaction coming out of conference this year. Party whips called round certain MPs to check in last weekend. One politician said this was a be-careful-what-you-say kind of phone call. On its own terms, the operation was a success. I've heard a lot of people here say that they can't begin to imagine what the reaction would have been like had something like this happened five or so years ago. Daniel Sugarman from the Board of Deputies. We have seen anti-Israel protests, but they've... They've been outside the conference zone. Five years ago, they would have been on the conference floor. Uh, And that has been noted. There has been a major, major shift in how the Labour Party responds to terrible situations like this. The Labour Party has a a very strong, principled and united position. Shadow Minister for the Middle East, Wayne David. We have roundly condemned the terrorist Mm -hmm. barbaric actions of Hamas. Mm And we recognise that Israel has a right to defend itself. For anyone watching Labour Party politics over the last four years, this stage management will not come as a huge surprise. Starmer's first priority when he took over was to, in his words, clean up the party. Before Corbyn was suspended, his ally Rebecca Long-Bailey was sacked for endorsing an interview containing an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. And earlier this year, Diane Abbott, who'd long been a friend and colleague to Corbyn, was suspended for saying Jewish people were not subject to racism all their lives. She retracted her comments, but has not been reinstated. Starmer's allies have also won control of the party's governing body, changed the internal party rules to make it harder for a left-winger to become leader in the future, and taken a firm grip on the selection of future MPs. And slowly but surely, he's moved the party's entire platform firmly to the right, abandoning his promises to stick with Corbyn-era policies and even taking advice from Tony Blair. Having seen several of their allies suspended or expelled, MPs on the left of the party are now trying to keep a low profile on all issues that they would be at odds with the leadership on. Ian Lavery, former Labour chair under Corbyn, told me he's warned MPs on his wing of the party to keep their heads down. There's this assumption that if you do not show the light, then there could be consequences. He was speaking last week before the attack on Israel. There's a number of us, we try and encourage, particularly these young people who should have a brilliant future in the Labour Party, just to make sure 
that they understand what consequences might be for perhaps crossing the line. The issue is, Ari, nobody's sure of where that line actually is. I mean, everybody is is very, very worked up about this. People are extremely concerned because what they want, the same as everybody else in the the party, is a Labour government at the next election with the power to deliver strong, bold, ambitious priorities and policies that'll uh, enhance the lives of ordinary people in our communities. That's what they want. And I think you said this to me and a few other people have said to me they're not going to conference because they're basically just concerned about what could happen at conference and saying the wrong thing. I've got something personal on. It's the main reason why I'll, I'll not be at conference this week. And somebody was saying to me early last night that they believe that the Labour Party will be scrutinised in every word every single person says at every single fringe week. Well, I'm not sure if that's the case. But if that's the sort of thing that people are worried about, we've got to try and ease that problem. You know, people should be free to say what they think's right. It was difficult to find MPs from the left of the party to talk on record in this podcast for fear of reprisals from the party leadership. Lavery and former Shadow Defence Secretary Clive Lewis did agree to speak to me on the record. But several times during the interview, Lewis joked about whether he might be kicked out for doing so. Lewis, like Lavery, was talking last week before Israel was attacked. There are people who are scarred during the Corbyn years, you know, who who will say never again and who want to, you know, completely shut the door down on any chance that they could ever be put in that situation again. I would say that there's, well, I, I, I don't want to go down that path. And I think actually, if you run a political party based on some kind of retribution or wanting to close off any political opportunity for anyone who might threaten your power base again within a party, well, then I think that's a recipe for the disaster, frankly. And, and, and sorry, are people are, are people doing that at the moment? Do you feel like that is going on? You'd have to ask them. But I think, I, I you know, I read the same comments that you do. I read the same things, the same things in the, in the Sunday Times and other papers where people uh, brief off the record about, you know, liquidating this group or making sure this group never sees the light of day again. Do you feel under the current leadership and under the current party system you're able to express yourself? I think it's quite difficult. And, you know, there are lots of reasons for this. It's not just uh, a fear of being kicked out of the party, although uh, I think there are lots of us on record saying that that's always a concern at the back of your mind. Anybody who has got a modicum of interest in political parties clearly understand that there's been a a purge against the left. This is Ian Lavery again. People are are, are that concerned that they're not not speaking out anymore. They're not going to meetings anymore. Because they're frightened to be. I mean, anybody in photographs was somebody who was being suspended from the party. But the city engineers with lots of APs, well, you've got to watch who you get your photograph taken with because it could be seen as bringing the party into disrepute. What does Lavery's old boss, Jeremy Corbyn, make of this? How does he feel about his friends and allies keeping quiet? Speak up, speak out. Listen. I represent a constituency just like everybody else does, who are members of parliament. I feel the pain of my people living in overcrowded flats, children underachieving in school, food banks with a queue forming two hours before they open. In the fifth richest country of the world, it's abominable, it's appalling, and it's wrong. You ain't going to solve this problem by not increasing taxation on the richest, by not reducing inequality, by not putting public resources to the needs of the poorest people. So, so are you kind of urging colleagues? I don't know. Speak how... out. Speak out. Say what you believe. Even if they get kicked well, out. Well, listen. Life is full of opportunities and full of risks and full of surprises. 
MPs on the left of the party may be being quiet, but those on the left outside of the parliamentary party have no need to be. And they're deeply unhappy with the direction the party has taken, demanding more radical policies on poverty, on the environment and much else. If you want to look at the future of the left within Labour, the future does not look bright. Here's Ash Sarkar of the left-wing media group Navara. But I think if you look outside of the Labour Party, there have been real advances that have been made in terms of shaping public opinion, particularly on the economy. And I think where we've seen this sort of crocus-like blossoming up of different protest movements and then they fade away again, what that is showing you is that there is a kind of simmering energy and desire to get involved in progressive causes, whether that's Black Lives Matter, Extinction Rebellion, the climate movement more widely. And I think that what Corbynism did is that it brought together two big bits of the UK left, this very activist, extra-parliamentary left, and this much more traditional Labour movement-based left. Without the figure of Corbyn, those two elements have gone their separate ways again. So while there isn't a coherent strategy, it still exists. I'm just quite realistic about the limitations of its power. Does the left need to exist within the Labour Party? I don't really think that the left needs to exist in Labour. I think that the left has to have some relationship with the Labour Party, whether it's a symbiotic one or an antagonistic one. You've got to learn from the right. What did Brexiteers do when they wanted to push the Conservative Party towards an anti-EU direction? They threatened their electoral chances. So if I was part of a group like... Greenpeace or Green New Deal Rising or whoever it was, I'd be saying, well, stand climate candidates in all of Labour's, you know, top 50 swing constituencies. Because if you're worried about Keir Starmer backsliding on policy, which is something that he's done a lot, that's going to be one way in which you establish a bit of leverage. I just don't think that that's where the thinking is amongst the left of the Labour Party because they're very, very cowed. But outside of the Labour Party, I think that is the kind of strategy that's beginning to be discussed. My feeling is that if you are locked out of the doors of Parliament, there is this whole world of political organising that you can do. Dawn Butler, predictably, does still think the Labour Party needs the left and vice versa. You can't have the Labour Party without what people call the Labour left, but I don't like compartmentalising people and putting them in boxes. But at the end of the day, the Labour left equates to socialism and fairness and making sure that we have a society that's fit for everybody to live in, where everybody's invested. That is the Labour left. It's not a dirty word. And the party cannot exist without it. But does it seem to you like the party is trying to exist without it? The Labour Party cannot win this election alone or just by appealing to one section of the community because we need everybody to vote for us. We need young people to vote for us. We can't alienate them by only talking about issues that don't affect them. So you cannot win this alone. And yes, I will admit it is... Uh, like a worrying time where you do think if you say the wrong thing you you know you might get kicked out there's a lot of people that are emailing me and writing to me and some people who applied for passes for conference and then they were told your pass has been 
rescinded and there is a lot of you know a lot of that which is a, a bit unnerving but ultimately and fundamentally without people talking about the different policies without people talking about nationalization without people talking about um, free school meals without all of those policies which are inherently labor policies we won't get enough people to vote for us to win I asked Clive Lewis whether he has tried to talk directly to Starmer about what's going on in the party. So at the beginning, I think, yes, I did. Now, less so. You know, Keir's clearly been on a journey. He started in one wing of the party and he's now found himself on the other wing of the party, the right of the party, as we prepare to go into government. So on that journey, you know, my texts and suggestions somewhere along the way, I think he's probably changed his number now. Coming up... The future of the left of the party. The Labour left has been completely marginalised and their last hope, really, is the mathematics. And the past. We've got to win. Not for our sakes, but really, truly, to deliver the British people from evil. Stay with us. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A message from Lloyds Banking Group. Lloyds Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. September 1985. Neil Kinnock, then the leader of the Labour Party, sat at Wigan train station, deep in thought. He was on his way back from a successful Trades Union Congress conference in Blackpool. But as he waited for his connection, Kinnock thought about his upcoming conference speech and wondered how he could finally skewer the left of his party. The hard left group Militant Tendency had taken over Liverpool Council in January the year before and Kinnock was furious. Furious about the way they'd treated the city and about the people working for the council. As he sat on the bench, he looked down at his newspaper and there it was, the answer he'd been waiting for there on the front page of the Liverpool Echo. The council had sent around 31,000 redundancy notices to its employees after passing an illegal budget deliberately spending more money than it had. And I was thinking Charles Clark, who was my research assistant, 
I've got him. The voice of the people, not the people here, the voice of the real people with real needs. Is the Bournemouth conference speech in 1985 was Kinnock taking on the militants. The grotesque chaos of a Labour council, a Labour council hiring taxis to scuttle around the city, handing out redundancy notices to its own workers. After this speech began the hearings. One by one, Kinnock began to throw out the left-wing agitators who'd been involved in Liverpool Council. The rules of the Labour Party at the time did provide for expulsion if a group or person was part of a group in with its own programme, purpose and philosophy. I think that's the exact words. And of course that had to be proved and it did require material evidence witnesses and the individuals that we were going to accuse have the right to be heard. I think we had 23 cases, found two people not guilty, but it took, well, somebody put it together 80-odd hours of hearings, and I was there for every minute, as indeed were most of the National Executive Committee. When you finished your hearings, how did you feel? I do confess to having raised the glance after the last one. After that, Neil Kinnock changed the rules to make it easier to eject people from the Labour Party. If they brought the party into disrepute, they could be expelled. We made the system, I think, more just, more transparent and more independent, which is a better way to go about it. And it meant that people didn't have to sit endlessly in the NEC hearing evidence. One of the things I wanted to ask was whether you think Tony Blair would have... One, I suppose, if you hadn't kicked out militants? Um, I think that by 97, Tony would still have won because of the extent and depth of disgust and alienation from the Conservative government. The problem is, if we hadn't done what we did in the 1980s, in terms of policy revision and renewal, and in terms of party management, my successors would have had to continue to manage the party, which is a massive distraction of time and energy. And that really does put a curtain in between the Labour Party and its leadership and the general public. In part because of Kinnock's work in the 80s, Tony Blair was able to be more relaxed than Starmer's been about the left wing of his party. In fact, Hilary Armstrong, Blair's chief whip when he first entered office, told me earlier in the year that she had wanted to kick out Jeremy Corbyn, then a little-known backbench MP, during their first term, but Blair just wasn't interested. I sometimes think that we weren't hard enough, actually, on some people, because we had the big majority... We didn't need to take action against people who were breaking the rules of the Parliamentary Labour Party, the standing orders, like Jeremy Corbyn. But the boss was not interested in taking anybody out, (laughs) so I didn't. Um, What would you have done if you'd...? Oh, we'd have suspended him. Do you ever think back to things like that and wish you and, you know, the New Labour movement had kicked out people like Jeremy Corbyn when they'd had the chance? I don't see there's any point in raking over that history. This is Peter Mandelson, one of Tony Blair's closest allies, who remains a standard bearer for the right of the party. 
uh, Tony decided uh, not to do that. He felt that uh, he and what he stood for and New Labour were so strong and that the appeal of New Labour was so pervasive across the party uh, that you could basically let this sort of tassel sort of hang on to the sort of body of the party. But what happened was that after we left government in 2010, the party under Ed Miliband, it just drifted. I mean, it sort of became a void. And I think that what Corbyn did in 2015 was fill a void. Uh, People didn't really know what the Labour Party stood for then. I'm talking about its members. I mean, they knew under Ed that, you know, we weren't new Labour and Ed did everything he could to, you know, distance himself and his leadership from new Labour and from what the Labour government did. But people didn't know what he stood for. You said there that people didn't know kind of what people stood for in the Labour Party. People say that about Keir Starmer. They don't know what he stands for. Do you worry about that? I don't really, because I I think that what we are clearly under Keir Starmer is a centre-left uh, party. But, you know, we're a broad church and throughout our history, you know, we've always been sort of dogged by this sort of tassel of the hot left, meaning people who see politics through a a rather rigid ideological lens, who see uh, state control as an end in itself. Now, they don't just make it harder for us to be elected, uh, but they make it much harder for us to govern effectively, you know, on behalf of the country as a whole. And that's why they can't ever be allowed to call the shots uh, in our party again. And I think It's why Keir Starmer is right right to marginalise them now. It's an incredible amount of projection because look at what happened when Corbyn was Labour Party leader between 2015 and 2019. Ash Sarkar again. Did right-wing Labour MPs try and make it as smooth sailing as possible for the Labour Party? No. In 2016, they launched a leadership coup. You had a separate campaigning organisation being covertly set up in 2017 to make sure that resources went towards right-wing Labour MPs and shoring them up, rather than trying to win over those, you know, slim marginal seats that that could have gotten Labour over the line as largest party. Do you think the Labour left is finished? The Labour left was predicted to have been killed off by Clement Attlee. It was predicted to have been killed off by Neil Kinnock. Every time somebody predicts the death of the Labour left, it sort of, you know, comes screaming back a generation later. For his part, Mandelson seems pretty happy about the left's weakened position today. I think the hard left has less influence in the Labour Party uh, than at any time in the last 30 years, which considering where we were just five years ago, is, is is remarkable. I mean, it's not only that hard left MPs are fewer in number, but, uh, but so are their candidates standing at the next election. Fewer of these are hard left, and the hard left union leaders have marginalised themselves in the party as well. I mean, perhaps we exaggerated their strength uh, under Corbyn. I mean, certainly he and the... Momentum organization captured the leadership uh, of the party uh, and they ran the Labour Party, but they never became 
the Labour Party. I mean, they were like a, a hard left blanket, a sort of rather thick hard left blanket that overlay the party. People have said that Keir Starmer's being too factional. Do you think that he's gone too far in that direction? Not worrying about one faction of the party or representing its interests. He's getting the Labour Party into a fit state to represent the views of the mainstream uh, membership of the Labour Party, to appeal to mainstream voters uh, uh, across the centre ground of British politics, to enable us to win an election after a disastrous defeat just five years ago, to put us in power to pursue the sorts of ideals and principles and goals uh, that we as a social democratic party have. It's not about factionalism, it's about winning. There's a mindset among some on the left that yes, you know, we say we want to win, but in reality, we don't want to win at any price. We don't want to win uh, if uh, uh, we have to compromise with the electorate, if it means sort of diluting uh, uh, the purity of our ideological uh, beliefs. Our primary purpose is to organise the election of Labour representatives in Parliament. If you can't sign up to that, and all that that implies, and all that that requires, then fine, join a, another political organisation uh, that uh, that suits you better. So, so you do want to win any price? I want the Labour Party to win. The question in some political circles is now not whether Labour will win the next election, but how big their majority will be. But if they get a smaller than predicted majority, the left of the party could have an outsized influence in that government. The Labour left has been completely marginalised and is at a really low ebb. This, as listeners will know, is Alva Ray, my Westminster Insider co-host who also happens to be an expert on Labour Party politics. Their last hope, really, is the mathematics after the next general election, which could just put them in pole position. And if they get their act together, they could force Keir Starmer's government to enact more radical policies than he would naturally want to go for. Uh, But some people on the left that I've spoken to think that they should be being more strategic right now, sort of having a, a think about what their precise policy demands are and being kind of realistic about what they could ask for and what they what they can't. But I actually think that they have been feeling a bit defeated, even though they wouldn't admit it publicly. I think also there's a bit of confusion around the leadership, like who is the leadership figure for the left and are people on the right of the party concerned about this so-called balance of power in the next, in a potential next Labour government? I think it depends who you speak to, because we know that on current polling, Labour is likely to win a really comfortable majority at the next election. But we also know that polls tend to narrow during the short campaign. So it could be the case that 10 or however many left MPs there are do hold quite a lot of sway in Keir Starmer's Labour Party and he he sort of needs to ensure that they are on side in order to get votes through. So definitely some people on the right have said we're going to really regret not kicking more of them out and that they're worried about that. And then I think other people are just a bit more confident and we have no way of knowing yet. 
I don't think that any of us are thinking of going in and, and holding a future Labour government to ransom. Clive Lewis. But by God, if there are issues of principle where a government is going to make a mistake, and sometimes when you're inside that bubble, you don't always call it right. You make decisions which aren't always in the best interest of your own party, your own government and the country, and you need people who can stand up. That's why we, we elect individual MPs into parliament. You know, So I don't think those who are scaremongering, and it is scaremongering, to say that there's going to be a small group of MPs going to hold a Labour government to ransom. I think that's rubbish. Rubbish, perhaps, but listen to what Ian Lavery said. He is a former chair of the Labour Party, and he's basically advocating for things that are not, and not likely to be, party policy in the next election. Well, I think we're being radical enough. The policies of the Labour Party uh, should be the basic policies which we're talking about. We're talking about you know, the, the likes of renationalisation. People cannot afford to keep the heat in, in, in the winter time. Uh, is that right when indeed the energy companies are making record profits? It's common sense to to, to look at the energy companies and, and take back the energy companies, etc. into public ownership. The same goes for mail, the same goes for real, and these are basic policies. On kind of mail, energy, water, if that's not kind of a Labour policy, which at the moment it doesn't look like it is, is that something that you could push for, you know, on the back benches if you guys kind of hold the balance of power if it, if Labour didn't have a massive majority in the next election? Well, I think that, you know, that, that's what people are talking about. If we've got a huge majority in the next election, or if we've got a near home parliament, of course, it means that the, the balance of power within the party, the parliamentary party, would change. But the the the, the truth is that the, the the socialist campaign group, on uh, you know a factionalist group, what we want to see is what's best for the, the the people that we represent, and we would push. We'll be pushing these policies. I asked Mandelson whether he worried about their sway during a future government. I, I don't really, because I think that what both Keir Starmer and what he represents uh, and the organisation that he's constructed around him and across the party mean that the, the, the centre-left of the party, rather than its sort of fantasist wing, are going to remain very much um, in, in control of the party. The Labour left may be at a very low ebb. They may be demoralised, but there are at least two routes back to power for them. And one could see someone from the campaign group back in charge. Ian Lavery thinks this could happen. You know, there's some fantastic members of the Socialist Campaign Group, the future of the party, in my view. But we've got to embrace them. I mean, I'm, I'm an old codger now. You know, I'm an old veteran of the minor strike. And we've got some fantastic young people coming through. The current Labour leadership are making it their business to make it as difficult as possible to see another left-wing Labour leader. Ash Sarkar again. We've seen an awful lot of rule changes forced through, which mean that MPs have an awful lot more power than the membership do in selecting the range of candidates who get to be considered for Labour Party leader. But I think that if you'd asked anyone Early in 2015, would Labour have a more left-wing leader than Ed Miliband? Everyone would have seen, oh, of course not. You know, the power of the unions has been broken. Of course that won't happen. And then, of course, along comes Jeremy Corbyn. So never say never. Neil Kinnock thinks the left are exactly where they want to be. There is to be, at the fringe of the Labour Party, associating with the Labour Party, sometimes surreptitiously, 
because they know they could never sustain political life separate from the labor movement. So they're at the edge, which is where they quite like to be, actually. So what is the future of the left of the Labour Party? The speech from the former leader on stage in the bar could not be more different from the current leader who spoke on the stage at the conference. Both sides of the party agree Keir Starmer's Labour is a world apart from Jeremy Corbyn's. Conference, this new path could only be walked by a new party, a changed Labour Party, no longer a party of protest, a party of service. Corbyn is no longer a Labour MP, but did the left of Labour lose its future when it lost its idol? The ones who spoke to me on and off record all said they want a Labour government and they're willing to keep their heads down, for now, to get it and be part of it. Their role after the election is less certain and certainly some on the left think their time could come again. But Corbyn has a warning for those in charge. I would simply say that the Labour Party has survived this long because it's been a mixture of political debate and political ideas. Closing down debate and closing down ideas doesn't take anybody forward. Even Harold Wilson recognised this. He said, a plane needs both wings on which to fly. Thanks for listening to Westminster Insider with me, Aggie Chambray. If you've enjoyed it, please spread the word, follow us and maybe leave us a nice review. My Twitter handle is at Agnes Chambray. My producer this week was James Tyndale of Whistledown Productions. Here at Politico, my executive producer is Christina Gonzalez and my editor is Jack Blanchard. There was additional reporting in this episode from Bethany Dawson. This is the final episode before our season break. Please don't forget you can go back and listen to old episodes if you really miss us. Perhaps our two-part profile of Keir Starmer is worth a listen. It's a good one. (laughs) Uh, And we'll be back at the beginning of November. But before you go, Alva is here and she has some news. I know, and you've kindly invited me in to do a little farewell chat. Um, Well done on that great episode, by the way. Thank you. Um, My only quibble with it is that you describe me as an expert on labour politics which I'd like to clarify to listeners I wanted to be cut I was happy and, and to I ju- refused I was happy to just be described as a colleague um, well I'm personally devastated to see you go um, it's very very sad but you've made some incredible episodes during your how long have you been here? a year and a half okay how many seasons is that? six, seven? it's been quite a few ten million ten million seasons ten, ten million yeah. episodes and what's your what's your favourite episode that you did? Oh, um, the one I made with James, our producer, who's sitting watching us um, on the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, that one, as I think was probably obvious in it, really meant a lot to me. And I started working on it months before it came out. I started badgering Tony Blair before Christmas, I think, <laughs> to come on it. And um, yeah, I really, uh, that felt very meaningful for me. And that's the one that people mention to me the most, I would say. Okay, nice. Well, as I say, I'm really, really sad to see you go, but you'll still come back on the podcast, right? Yeah, well, I can be I can be your backup. <laughs> you can be an expert on so many things. Anything you need an expert in, I'm your woman. Thank you so much, Alva. I'll miss you. I'll miss you. Westminster Insider will be back at the beginning of November. We'll see you then. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.